0: Good morning. Uh, if I don't look like Pastor Corey or Pastor Darren to you, you would be correct. Uh, my name is Stephen. I'm the youth director here, which means that I get to work with a lot of kids who are on their way to becoming young adults. Um, and part of that journey of becoming uh, an adult is asking a lot of questions. Um, in In youth ministry, some of the questions that we've heard or like, how do you get a girlfriend? Or why does the moon turn red in Revelations, and what does that mean? Um, or who was the first vegan, and is vegan mentioned in the Bible? And like, what did it feel like on your last day as a child? Right, so there's a ton of questions all across the board. Those were not. That's just scratching the surface, right? There's a, there's a ton. Um, but similarly, right. Jesus has received questions all across the board during his ministry. We've been going through a book study on the book of Acts since December. And so in our particular passage, in Luke chapter 10, um, a lawyer approaches Jesus to ask him a question. This is our passage in Luke 10, 25, and it reads, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. So we see that the lawyer, he asked a lot of questions to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't answer the questions, but instead, he meets the lawyer where he's at by asking him something about what is written in the law, right, which the lawyer who studied the law would have known a lot about. And the answer he gives is not only the correct one, but it's also very significant. He quotes Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18, which you just heard, which essentially says like, love God and love your neighbor. The reason why this is significant is that you didn't have to be an expert in the law to know this answer. The first half of the answer that he gives in Deuteronomy 6.5 is a prayer called the Shema, that every Jew who is even like remotely religious would have prayed every day. The second passage, Leviticus 19.18, was also very significant. Right? Jesus himself said that these two verses combined were the greatest commandments and that the apostle paul would later go on to say that the entire law and the prophets was summed up in this way. Romans 13:8 through 9 reads like this. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing love except the de- except continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet and whatever other commands there may be are all summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So, This conversation that Jesus and this lawyer are having is very significant because it connects the single greatest commandment in the Old Testament, the single greatest two commandments in the Old Testament, to the New Testament, right? It lays the groundwork for the apostles, like Paul and John, the writers of many books in the New Testament, to echo the importance of this answer, of this conversation. So now that we see why this conversation is so significant, like, let's look deeper at the commandment itself, right? Right? The word that ties the two Old Testament passages together, like love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, like the word that connects them is the word love, right? So in the original Hebrew, the word is pronounced, the word for love is pronounced ahava. So say that with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Ahava. Okay. Good job, guys. Nice. Um, okay, now say, say it like you just made like a brilliant scientific discovery, like ahava. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Ahava. You guys sound so silly. Uh, um, uh, so the Bible Project, they did a video on this particular word, um, and I'm going to just show you a quick exer- excerpt of it because I think it really captures the importance uh, of the significance of this word, so... Go and turn your attention to the screen.
1: God's love is not a duty. It's a genuine feeling, an affection that God experiences. This is why the prophet Hosea compares God's love for his people to a husband's ahava for his wife or to a parent showing ahava for their child. It's one of the strongest things that God feels. But that doesn't mean that God's love is just a feeling. God's love is also in action. It's something God chooses to do. Like when Moses says, because of God's Ahava for your ancestors, he brought you out of Egypt with great power. God's love isn't just a sentiment, it is something God does. And so in the Shema, Israel is called to respond to God's Ahava by showing Ahava in return. And just like God's love, human love is to show itself through actions. Like in Deuteronomy 10, What does the Lord your God ask of you except to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him and serve him and to keep his commands? All of these actions are centered around love. If I'm not doing them, I don't actually love God, I just say I do. Which leads to one last thing. In the Old Testament, I show my love for God by how I treat the people around me. In Deuteronomy, we read that God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he shows ahava for the immigrants among you, giving them food and clothing. And so you also show ahava for the immigrant. So the people are to imitate God's ahava by showing ahava for others. This is the idea underneath the famous line, you shall ahava your neighbor as yourself. And God's love is not a duty.
0: So I, I showed that video because I think it paints an important important background to God's character and in specifically in relation to this story, right? You saw love your like Ahava your neighbor as yourself, right? And so the the Hebrew word for God this is the first point, sorry I forgot to mention the Hebrew word for God's love is Ahava and it is always accompanied with action, right? That's really what the video tries to, to hammer home, is that, the, that God's love is always accompanied with action. And I think it's really important that we understand, understand this as we move forward in the passage. Um, So jumping back into the passage, we see that even though Jesus is Jesus commended the lawyer for answering the question correctly, right? Like, what must I do to inherit eternal life, right? Love love my neighbor, love God, love my neighbor, right? He still wasn't satisfied with this exchange. So starting at verse 29, it reads. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So, in this story we have three key players, well, four if you count the man on the side of the road, but three key players who are walking down the path, right? We have the priest, the levite, and the Samaritan, right? And and the priests back in, in biblical times, right, they were seen as a mediator between God and man, right, and they would help with sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. The Levites were from the tribe of Levi, and their sole purpose was to take care of the temple at the place where the sacrifices would happen, were happening, and they would sing songs during worship and do maintenance and, and stuff like that. So these are two professional religious people, right? And lastly, we have the Samaritans. They were the descendants of Jews and other races, uh, mixed populations, and because they had not kept their racial or religious purity, they were considered uh, ceremonially unclean, socially outcast, and religiously a heretic by any, any Jews that would encounter them. They were the very opposite of the lawyer as well as the priest and the Levite. So all three of them, all four of them, were traveling down the 17-mile road from Jericho to Jerusalem. And it's well known that there was danger because the terrain was rugged and their stretches were long where the robbers could be lurking. And evidently, the traveler, he experienced this danger firsthand when robbers came and beat him and left him for dead. And surely, like as this man lay dying, bleeding out on the side of the road, uh, surely he had some, some, great, some reason to hope that he might yet be saved when he saw a priest coming towards him. Surely a man of God would save him. But alas, he passed by and, the, and did nothing. The same with the Levite, right? Surely a caretaker of God's house would extend the love of God to him, but he too Passed him by. So, for a Samaritan, right, someone who is morally and culturally reprehensible to the Jews, for a Samaritan to be the savior of the story, it must have been an absolute shock to the listeners. The lawyer would have had a very specific view and definition of who his neighbors were, in that Jews only believed that other Jews could be their neighbor, right? Everyone else was an unclean, pagan, idolater, but Samaritans, even more so. Jesus, knowing this, right, he tells the story because he wants to move the lawyer's abstract theological question on the, to a discourse on real-life people, real-life issues. He conveys a deeper truth and translates it into action, not something that is arguable. The lawyer, even the lawyer had to concede, right, that the person who was a neighbor to the beaten traveler was the person who showed him mercy. Right. And I find that this is often where we stop, right? When we read this passage, we we read it and then we're like, this is great, we should be a better neighbor. But I think there's another significant detail here. In telling this story, not only does Jesus redraw the boundary lines of neighborliness, but he also reframes the lawyer's question. If you look back at the passage, what question does the lawyer ask Jesus? Right? He asks, Who is my neighbor? But what question does Jesus end up asking when he finishes the story? He asks who proved to be a neighbor, right? Jesus reframes who is my neighbor to who proved to be a neighbor, which is the second point. This this might seem like a tiny, subtle change, but it's actually huge. The implications are huge, right? So the, it's significant for several reasons. The question, who is my neighbor, it implies that maybe... Some people aren't your neighbor, right? If you just pick out one person, that's my neighbor, then that mean, maybe that means that some people aren't your neighbor. In fact, if this were true, that some people are not our neighbor, then we, as Christ followers, would be off the hook for, for loving people, which is totally false, right? We are called to love everyone, period, regardless of race or political stance or socioeconomic status, regardless if they're sick or they're healthy, regardless if they like USC and your UCLA fan or vice versa, right? We, we're called to love no matter what. And I know it's hard for some people, but we're called to love. The second issue with the question of who is my neighbor is that we might correctly identify who our neighbor is, but Jesus wants us to do more than just know who our neighbor, her neighbors are, right? He wants us to actively be a neighbor to our neighbors. Not just say that we love them, but that we ahava them, right? God's love in action. By reframing this question, Jesus puts the onus on us and on the lawyer to examine our own hearts and our own character. Are we the kind of people that God's calling us to be, or are we, just, are we willing to really put our beliefs into action? I have three application questions that will help us kind of examine our own lives today and that you can further discuss in your growth, group, growth groups later. The first question is, Do we draw dividing lines or make excuses? Do we draw dividing lines or make excuses? So the priest and the Levite, they had a a lot of reasons why they wouldn't touch the body, right, why they wouldn't go and help this man on the side of the road. The excuse number one might have been that the body on the roadside could have been a trap, right, laid by robbers who had beaten up this man. They themselves could have also been another body on the road. They would have wanted to avoid that. Excuse number two is that contact with a corpse would have defiled a priest and a Levite according to the the Jewish law, which would have disqualified them from their temple responsibilities. When they saw the victim, they had a choice between their duty to their religious institution or between loving their neighbor. And I can't help but think, do we often make the same excuses? That we don't give to a homeless person because we're afraid that our money, like, they'll spend it on alcohol instead of food. Or that we are so, we have all these great things that we're doing at church that we don't think we need to go out and serve our community. I'm not saying that, like, you should be a poor steward with your money or that you should use serving other people outside of church as an excuse not to come to church, right? These are good things that we're doing here. But, I am asking you to examine your own heart and see if we aren't hiding behind our excuses or our obligations as a reason for why we aren't loving our neighbor. The second question is, are you willing to cross the road? Are you willing to cross the road? If you look at the passage, it says that when the priest and the Levite saw him, they, they crossed by him, they, they walked by him on the other side of the road, right? They did not even want to take a peek. They, did not, they wanted to get as far away from him as possible. The Samaritan, on the other hand, not only crossed the street to help his neighbor, right, but he did much more than what was required. He gave sacrificially. When I was working at this on this sermon at a Panera Bread right by my house, I, I literally saw a homeless person on the other side of the road and I didn't, it didn't even occur to me that, like, I could have given him some of the food that I was eating. Like, I, I was, like, super full, but I had, like, all this food left. And, I, was, and I, I decided to try to stuff it down my face because I didn't want it to go to waste, right? Um, and, like, if he had approached me, like, I would have been happy to give it to him. But it, um, or even, like, I might have even, like, bought him something if he really wanted me to. But, like, to cross the street, right, to, to go out of my way, even though, like... Like to me, that didn't even cross my mind. Even though I was working on a sermon that was literally like talking about this, okay. Like, and that was that was really convicting for me. Um, and like, yeah, I, I hope I hope we're willing to give give sacrificially, give 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 like this great the Good Samaritan gave when he he like put the man on his donkey, he like clothed him, he like cleaned his wounds, right? He did all those things, right? Yeah, I hope we can get there. But like. The the first thing that we need to be willing to do is cross the road. Like, are we willing to go out of our way just to love someone? Like, to take that first step. The third question that I have for us are, is like, what are the requirements to be a good neighbor? So if 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 State Farm like an insurance company, right? If, if they can build its whole marketing campaign around like about around being a good neighbor, like like a good neighbor, State Farm is there, right? Like if if they can build their whole marketing campaign around that, like how much more so should the body of Christ be known for being a good neighbor? Can I get an amen? Yeah? Yeah? Anyone of you have shape, state form? Yeah? All right. All right. Amen to that too, I guess. Um, And so these are just some of my thoughts, some of the things I was thinking about, like, about what it might look like to be a good neighbor. I'm sure you guys can think of many more um, in your growth groups, even as I'm talking. But uh, one of the first ones that I thought of was to pray first and then respond. To pray first and then respond. See, You know, the Samaritan, like, he sees the man, right? He has compassion on him, and he gives of his time and his resources. It sounds, like, so simple, but as I mentioned before, like sometimes we're so numb to the to the harsh realities of other people around us that we don't even notice notice it when people are hurting or when they're in need. We need to pray that God's, we need to pray that we have God's eyes to even see people, right? And then after we see people, we're like, oh, like there's so much, right? And then we have to pray for God's heart to have compassion on people, and God's love to be willing to sacrifice for others. Uh, the Samaritan, he saw the traveler had compassion on him, and gave of his own resources. And it, it's, it's um, when we get into the habit of doing it, right, then it becomes a lot easier. But sometimes it can be hard, right? So, so like, pray, seek God first, let God change your heart. Uh, the second point is very similar to this, is check your heart, right? As kind of like we discussed before. It's not It's not easy to be a neighbor, but is there anyone just like as you're thinking that maybe you just feel like you're better than or like that you honestly you don't really feel like loving if you're honest with yourself like God might be convicting you a little bit. He might be trying to chip away at some of the boundary lines that we've drawn in our own in our own mind or that cultural things that we have. The third point is that ahava is stronger in community. Ahava is stronger in community. We're not meant to do it all on our own. Like the Samaritan, he, yeah, he gave above and beyond, right? But he entrusted his new friend to the care of others. To think that we can or should do it all on our own, not only is that going to exhaust us, right? But it's going to be harmful for the people that we're trying to help in the first place. Like imagine if, if after helping that man that the Samaritan was saddled with that person for the rest of his life, right? He just had to care for him for the rest of his life. That, no one would help anyone, right? We, we are called to be a community of believers that love and support one another. And like, when we do so, when we come together, when we bring, bring people hurting people to our community and they receive the love of a full community, like that's powerful. That's a powerful witness. And honestly, it's a nice place to be too. Can we be the body of Christ that demonstrates this Ahava love of Jesus? And lastly, and this is my biggest point, Is to let Jesus be the Savior. Let Jesus be the Savior. There's so many issues in our world and so much to be done sometimes that I sometimes I feel like paralyzed and I don't feel like I can do anything, right? Or sometimes we're like, dang, I, I can barely take care of myself, and now you're telling me I need to love my neighbor too, right? And like, I hear you. Like, it's, it's a common issue for everyone, but especially in my generation of people who really have a strong desire to help, but they don't always know how. Um, and the passage that follows, that directly follows the, pa- the parable of the Good Samaritan is a story about these two women named Mary and Martha, Mary sits at Jesus' feet and listens to him while Martha is busy cooking and cleaning, right? Martha is someone who would have taken this, this message, that this, this, this sermon that Jesus was preaching, to love, put love into action. She was going to take it and run with it and get exhausted. Right? She, when Martha tells Jesus to tell her sister to prove her love, right, to, to put her love into action, a.k.a. to help her in the kitchen, right? We, Jesus tells her that Mary has actually chosen what is better. Jesus knows that though it is admirable to love your neighbor, it falls second to the command to love God for a reason. If we try to love our neighbor in our own strength, if we try to save the world to fix every problem that we encounter, we are not putting Jesus in his proper place. We are either forgetting that we need him or we're trying to take his place as the savior of the world. Both are going to be devastating and soul-killing in the long run. They're going to leave us tired, depleted, and empty. If this is you this morning, I encourage you just to sit at Jesus' feet, to rest in him, and to trust him that he's going to do all the heavy lifting and that the kitchen work and the chores, the loving, difficult people that that can come second to being filled by Jesus. So those are the four points. I just want to conclude by saying that like, we're all going to be at different places when we hear today, in today's sermon regarding like, loving our neighbors, and, and that's okay. Like Jesus preaches to different people. Right? He, sometimes we need to love. We, like, we, need, we need to have Jesus' love. We need his encouragement, and we need his filling, like Mary and Martha did. And sometimes we need a swift kick in the pants like the lawyer did. For me specifically, this message has been relevant because honestly, it's clear that I'm incapable of loving my neighbor in the way that Jesus describes the Good Samaritan doing, let alone trying to love God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my strength, with all of my mind. Like maybe, maybe, just maybe, I might be able to do it once, twice, three times, right? But eventually I'm going to fail in my own strength I will most undoubtedly fail. My own efforts are not enough. But as I reflected more on this story, I thought, you know, maybe that's the point. I realized that, it, like in the parable, right, we see this man who is broken, right, and we see a neighbor who, though this likely, though he would have likely despised and hated the man who he was helping, right, the the the, the person on the floor would have hated the Samaritan because of the cultural tensions that were going on. The Samaritan still, dest- still decided to love and tend to this man's wounds at the great expense of his own self, paying for this man's debt and promising to return again. And is this not a reflection of the gospel found in this parable? That even though we were hurting and broken as the traveler was, Christ would come and bind up our brokenness and clean the dirt out of our wounds and pay the price for our sins just as the good Samaritan did for the beaten traveler. If we were to insert ourselves in this passage, we would not be the good Samaritan. We are the broken man beside the road. Remember that the Bible says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins and that God raised you up to life with Christ unless we submit to God and allow him to care for our ravaged souls and to really truly change our lives, it will be impossible to live without God, live into God's command to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor well, let alone love them as well as we love ourselves. If I get to hammer home one point today, let it be that the power of the gospel is in that it is not... It is not only by God's grace that we are able to live into Jesus' command to love God and love our neighbor. It is by God's grace that we are able to live into Jesus' command to love God and to love our neighbor. It is only by his ahava love that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If we are the broken man in this passage, then it is in the inn. Where we, in which he brought us to where we can grow and recover and learn of the man who saved us and eagerly anticipate his return. We are filled with his Ahava love that we have received and we poured out that love that we have been given to others. It is only in this way that we are now free to fulfill the greatest commandment. We are able to love God and our neighbor because he first loved us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you love us and that you have, that you loved us first. And that's the only the only reason, the only way that we are able to truly love our neighbor, God. So I pray that we would not do anything out of our own strength, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would convict our hearts to and open our eyes to see people that we need to love, God, that we would ask who is our neighbor, but that we would more importantly ask how can we be a good neighbor, God. I pray, Lord, that that. You would, be, before, before we go out and, and, and try to save the world, Lord, that we would remember that you already have. You've already done that for us, God. So I pray, Lord, that we'd rest in you, that you'd bless our Sunday, and we give you all the praise and all the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.